get let's take a moment and say thank you to our sponsors at Fuji Sport. Yeah, absolutely. They've been working with us for for a very long time, not only on this podcast but also at the academy. Um, and I'm peeking, taking a peek at, at their website right now, and they have a brand new ultra light. Now, this is mind-blowing. I'm looking at my size. A2 is 2.75 pounds. I mean, that's under three pounds. That's yeah. that's mind-blowing. I could even lift that. And uh, go to their website, fujisports.com. Check it out. Anything you can need for your jujitsu journey, you can find at fujisports.com. Hey, it's been a while since we started Roll TV Project. Uh, it's been a while since you started it. I did come in later, and um, I can't say enough about it, especially the new platform. It's really amazing, fully customizable, uh, and you know a little bit more about the structure. Well, so two things you need to know. One is the subscription service, which is 9 bucks a month. Um, you can get access to hundreds of videos, hundreds of drills, techniques, and so on in a very nice labor, library categorized as you need them. But two, different lessons. Um, you can actually purchase those individually and you own them so the subscription is not tied to it at all. You can look at things like spider guard, half guard sweeps, half guard chokes, um, uh, folding pass, and so on. There are so many of them out there. So take a look um, and see where you need help with the videos, right? 30% if you type in Roll Radio as a code, who doesn't like saving money, go to RollAcademy.tv. What's up, everyone, and welcome back. If you haven't already, please remember to hit the like, share, subscribe, download, listen, and whatever other button there is, and leave us a review wherever you do listen. That ensures that we can continue bringing you the great guests and amazing content that you have come to expect. On today's episode, we have a black belt under Brandon Bennett of the Henzo Gracie Academy, Robert Deagle. Today, Robert discusses why he made the decision to forego a master's degree in philosophy to become a full-time grappler, instructor, and competitor. Robert also shares how he deals with the nerves of competing, the differences between training in the U.S. versus Europe, whether or not jiu-jitsu will ever become a huge spectator sport, and a ton more. Here's the role radio with one of the most sought-after instructors in the world who has taught in over 18 countries and on three continents, Robert Eagle. Welcome to Raw Radio. And we are live. Here we are. It's Man, early, dude. This, <laughs> this is early morning for, for, this, yeah, for, for this show. Yeah, I don't know if I've got any. I mean, I don't talk that much. I let you lead anyway. <laughs> I might have even less to say today. Well, it, listen, it's going to be a good conversation. But yeah, I am actually surprised that you are smiling and you are less grumpy than you were yesterday. So I've, maybe there was something behind this. Maybe well, you should just first thing in the morning. Well, maybe. I. The, so I haven't spent that much time with you yet today. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that what it is? Yeah, in a few hours, probably <laughs> shortly after this is done recording, I'll be grumpy. I'll be in a in a bad mood again, uh, and we'll know who to blame. Uh, so, what? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, I, then. Do you have introduce. your coffee? You I do. Yes, you, I have my coffee and my BJJ uh, fanatics. Or I'm sorry, the Roll Academy. Yeah, uh, Yeti that you got me with my name on it, uh, and it's full and it's it's hot, and this will get me through. All right. Well, so, so I was going to shall we begin? Uh, yeah. We're going Please, international. This is going today. nowhere right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, <but. going> <laughs> <laughs> it's going over the pond. Rob, how are you? Welcome to the show. Good, good. I'm doing well. Good. How are, how are things going um, overseas? 
Good. I'm uh, training right now for, I have a tournament in about a week and a half in Serbia and I'm training in London for it. And uh, it's an ADCC open tournament and it, it looks awesome. I just found out today that it's going to be on Serbian TV, which is cool. pretty cool. Yeah. So that's going to be a first for me. Never been on Serbian TV before. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's first for everything, yep. but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> we, we just learned that you guys have something in common. What? Oh, yeah, it's not jujitsu. It's not jujitsu. It's good. Uh, no, yeah, it's well, we're we're both uh, Seinfeld fans. We found out, I found out. So, and you're a t- you're like way way younger. So I watched them first run. You're a lot younger than me. So you obviously you've caught them on Netflix or or in reruns somewhere. Um, well, it was uh, when I was a little little kid. My dad used to watch it all the time. Oh, okay. God, now yeah. I feel old, dude. <laughs> Let's change the subject. Let's go back to jujitsu. Yeah, for those who don't know, Gary is seventy-five. Yeah, I feel like. <laughs> but that's something you shared with your dad, Seinfeld. I hope that day comes for me. My kids are little and they don't care right now. It's uh, they don't have the attention span for something. Like you got it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Like I just he would put it on all the time and I would watch it with him. Uh-huh. And like, I just, I just got like, so into it. I, I mean, I must've been watching Seinfeld since I've been like, so I'm 30 years old now. I think I've been watching it since I was like six, That's maybe great. even, yeah, maybe even younger, honestly, because <laughs> you know, he would always just have it on the TV. So. Yeah. How has yeah. that influenced your, uh, your sense of humor and, and just how you operate day to day? Cause I, I can tell you what it's done for me. It's changed me a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's interesting. So like, so I grew up in New York and I think Seinfeld is like a quintessentially like New York show with like the humor, you know, like the, there's so many things in the show that like, I find that are like very like quintessentially New York. Right. And so I wonder like the environment that I grew up in and the show, like there's, there's this like interaction between the two of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, the the environment I grew in, up in shaped me and also shaped the show. And so I think that that's definitely a part of why I've always connected so much with the show and enjoyed it so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. This just explains why I don't get it. Maybe. Because I'm four well, and not yeah. from New York. Yeah. I, I like it. <laughs> I like it mostly because the characters over the years became just more and more horrible and awful yeah. people. And I kind of, uh, I enjoyed that so much and kind of rode that and, um, mm-hmm. And now uh, it's probably made me an awful person as well. So. <laughs> I was about to say, now you're reflecting. <laughs> no. Well, I'll tell you what I really like about it is I like to always, I love to say the wrong thing, knowing it's the wrong thing to say, just to get a rise out of people. And I think that like Seinfeld's humor and Larry David's humor really push that forward. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I love it. But uh, Thomas is looking at me like he has he's I, I got mean, no I, idea. I know, I know, about. I know what you guys talk about. I mean, I've seen a few episodes, a but few. I, I, but I legit, I don't get it. I, I, I that's uh, it's, beyond. It's, it's one of the best shows. Over, that in the over Simpsons. My head. Uh, yeah. Seinfeld and the Simpsons have t- have definitely shaped my sense of humor and and how I look at the world. Both both classics for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, and another thing that I I just love about Seinfeld is I think it captures like the humor of the everyday, like really, really well, Mm -hmm. like the idiosyncrasies of just like everyday life. You know what I mean? And like New York is a place where you either find the humor in those idiosyncrasies or they make you miserable. So like, yeah. So I had a, back in the day when I trained at Henzo's in New York, I had a friend of mine who moved from Ohio to New York to train full-time jujitsu. And he, he texted me one morning 
a, a video of this dude. Oh, sorry, not this dude. It was an old, old homeless lady taking a shit in the middle of the street outside his apartment <laughs> building. And he was just like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bro, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're going to see stuff like that. <laughs> and like, you either find, obviously that's disgusting, right? Like, but you either got to like find the humor in those sorts of things, yeah. right? Or it's going to drive you crazy, right? And Seinfeld's all about finding humor in those idiosyncratic, absurd things right and also they're terrible people too right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they yeah, revel in yeah it. yeah those two things i think go together like to me that's what makes the show so funny yeah all right so here so, i got you, a segue for thomas right so in jujitsu i think you could say the same thing if you don't find like the enjoyment in those moments they'll make you miserable and you'll mm-hmm. quit right i think especially for like the hobbyist do you think it's the same way like you got to embrace those little miserable moments in order to find something better in it, to get a gem out of it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's a tough thing to do. Like it's an, it's an ongoing process. Right. So I, I was reading um, someone's Instagram post uh, yesterday who it's a, it's a guy who's a, he's uh, I've, I've met him before and he's like a very active competitor and he was posting about how people told him in the past that if he kept competing, he would, stop being nervous competing eventually. Well, that turned out in his case, he said it was not true, but continuing to compete, like it, he gets better, even though he doesn't get less nervous. And I, I think it's interesting because a lot of people said the same thing to me, right? Okay. If you keep competing, you're going to get less nervous. I don't really know that I've found that to be the case. I, I still get nervous when I compete, but I think that you get better at dealing with the nerves, right? Not that you get less nervous, right? But that you get better at dealing with the nerves. And it's like, you know, any other negative aspect of the sport, right? Like if you're in bottom mount and someone's sweat is dripping on your face, right? That doesn't get less miserable, but you get more used to it, right? So, yeah. You learn how to ignore it. Yeah. 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 And you just deal with it. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Thomas? I'm waiting for you to continue the conversation no, because gonna, you guys we, took the show over. I'm just going to sit keep talking back. about <laughs> Seinfeld and move it into the Simpsons, you're going to be miserable. So. No, I actually enjoyed the conversation. That well, was here, an interesting turn of events. Right, I guess I'm running it today. Uh, <laughs> doing research for today, like you've, you've taught 13 different, 18 different countries all over the world. You're in London right now, right? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I thought you were in Paris at this point. Uh, I was now, yesterday. Yesterday. See, I mean, that's amazing to me. Um, <laughs> so, I, I very rarely leave my four square miles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so what is it? Hot, obviously, jujitsu has taken you around the world. But why do, why do you continue moving around all over the place um, from your home base? So, um, so the, the reason uh, the, for the last three months that I, or two months rather that I've been in London, I'm going to be here like another month more is the, the training here is really good. So like I wanted to come to Europe for seminars, but I didn't want to be doing it. Like I didn't want to be hopping around constantly. So I wanted to have one home base from which I could train during the weeks. And then on the weekends, not every weekend, but like a good number of the weekends go to compete or teach seminars in other European countries. So that's why I've been here so long, you know, like at the end of my time in London, I will have been here as long as I was in Austin, Texas. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's just another little, you know, uh, stop, you know, along my, my training journey. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I've, I've moved around so much because like it, 
you know, I am a competitor, but I'm also an instructor, right? I make my living as an instructor. Competition is like, that's something I do for myself, right? I'm not making a living doing that, right? So to make a living, I have to essentially, if, if you know, I don't own a school, so I have to make instructionals and I have to travel to teach seminars. So I am traveling to teach seminars, you know what I mean? And then the, the, the other reason is just that I do also just like enjoy it, right? Like I could probably only teach seminars in the U.S. and, and do pretty well, but I like traveling. It's fun. Like, you know, I, I, I enjoy getting to go to places I've never been before, places that, uh, you know, otherwise I probably would have never gone to, right? Like I'm going to Serbia in a week and a half or two weeks to compete, right? I, when it, I know almost nothing about Serbia. You know, I know the basics. It's in the Balkans. It used to be part of Yugoslavia, right? But like, I don't, I don't know what, I have no idea really what to expect. Um, so it'll be cool, right? And I've, I've had that experience many times where, you know, I've gone to places and it's, it's totally different than the U.S. Or sometimes it's shockingly similar. There's some countries where you're shocked at how, like Singapore, for instance, is a country that I've spent time in. You could drop an American off there and, and like, you're, you're not going to immediately notice that big a difference in many places there, right? Like they're English speaking and you're going to see like McDonald's and 7-Eleven everywhere, right? Um, versus, you know, if you're in Paris, Paris is like very immediately, obviously different in the u.s like it's just like notice noticeably different so um yeah it's also just cool to travel out of all the countries that you visited would does this one strike you um creates a a repl- irreplaceable memory something that was really good or something that was really bad something that kind of sinks in there is like oh yeah there was that place well, I mean, I, I, if I if I were to pick like my favorite country that I've ever been to, it, it's it's like it's really hard because um, it's like a cop out. Like I like different places for different reasons. But if you put a gun to my head and you made me pick one, I'd probably pick I'd probably pick Italy. So I'm in the process of getting my my. Uh, so obviously I'm American, right? I have a U.S. passport, but through my descent, I can get an Italian passport. So I'm in the process of working towards getting that. And like going to Italy for the first time as someone with like Italian heritage and who grew up around that in the U.S., uh, it was really, really like a special experience for me. And like if you made me pick any one place, like that would be that would be my favorite country I've ever would you visited. Would you move to Italy? I definitely would. The one issue with it is that jujitsu on an economic level is not developed to the point where it is in the U S. So like, I would love to live there. I think it would, it would be awesome, but it's tough to, it's not impossible, but I think it's difficult to make a living teaching jujitsu in like a lot. This isn't just for Italy. This is for like a lot of European countries or just a lot of countries in general where jujitsu hasn't like, it's not as popular yet. Um, and then there's also the fact that, you know, I'm of Italian descent, but I can't speak Italian. So like to teach it would, I'd have to, I definitely want to learn Italian. That's a goal of mine. But as of right now, I don't know how to speak it. So if you, I, you know, let's say I open up a gym in like Rome or something, half my students are not going to be able to speak English. And yeah, yeah. It's going to be more difficult to teach them. And I'm sure I would learn the language. Like if, when you're there, you, you're going to pick it up, well, right? It's there. a similar situation to, to what Brazilian instructors are experiencing in the U.S. They come in, they, yeah. they, they speak some English or, or broken English or whatever the case. They're still in this learning curve and they, they have this huge passion for this art. But yet the, 
communication factor is so important in jiu-jitsu, especially when it comes to the details, right? It's all in, in, yeah. in detail. So knowing how to communicate clearly is, is um, you know, critical, critical to the success of you and your students. Hey, listen, so, you know, in Europe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you're probably more knowledgeable mm-hmm. about this, but in Europe, what I noticed that there's there's a lot of small clubs, cl- quote unquote. There's not many academies, successful business oriented academies, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of seminars that take place where people get together for a person such as yourself or or mm-hmm. some other instructors, and they kind of get together. What I'm getting at is, I feel like seminars are more present in Europe than they are in US versus in US there's more quote unquote academies established businesses where you can go and and visit and learn from specific people am i am i correct on this or you've experienced something else well i, I definitely think that so the, the the first thing is um for those people that don't know like americans that have never like trained jiu jitsu in europe or done sports in europe like sports in europe are very different than in the US in the sense that like you're you're absolutely right like you'll oftentimes find that the the jujitsu school is like it's part of a sports club that's owned by the local government that yeah. just has mats that they're paying to train in by the hour and isn't like it whereas in the u.s you'll almost never find that you'll almost always find it's a privately owned business by the, the head usually the head coach right mm-hmm. the black belt who teaches at the academy he owns the space he owns the mat right etc he built it out Whereas in Europe, you'll go, you'll find mats that are in a local sports club. Not always, you will find. Um, so I just taught in Sweden, for instance, at a school that was uh, privately owned. But in that case, it was also like funded by the government. Like, I don't understand yeah, how this no. works on like a logistical level. Right. But like, that's what they told me. And, and, and in Europe, it's much less common to see guys who make a living exclusively teaching you'll usually have like the black belt who runs the school even if he owns the space like he might have another job like i just taught at this fucking huge beautiful academy in switzerland which was like really really big you'd think that they're like raking it in but in reality the head coach the guy who owned the school he said that he had another he had a full-time job in addition to running this like a very big academy right so um, there's a number of reasons for that. Like n- ultimately I think it comes down to like sports culture, right. Which is beyond my expertise, right. It's just my observations teaching. Um, but like, yeah, that's, that's a definite difference that you'll, you'll notice. There are guys in Europe who all they do is teach, right. Like um, Tommy Langaker, right. Obviously Espen Matthias and uh, Santeri Lilius in Spain. Right. Um so they they exist, uh, but there's definitely less. And you'll notice it's in like the same countries, right? So like uh, Tommy Espen are in Norway. Santeri is Finnish, but he he lives he lives in Spain. And then like I can think of a lot of Polish guys who that's true for. Mm-hmm. And then the UK the UK is really more like the US. Like it's way more similar to the US, where it'll be like privately owned businesses. Like I'm training at London Grapple, which is owned by like a couple of the black belts who uh, train at the school, right? They own it together. Um, and as, as far as seminars go, um, I'm not sure. Maybe I, I, that I don't, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I've taught a ton of seminars in the U S I've taught a ton in Asia, but I, I've probably taught more in Europe than anywhere else. So maybe there is like something to that. Do you uh, think, do you think part of that is, contributed by the development of the sport and art in 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 those regions meaning i mean 
in U.S., arguably we one of the most developed, if not the most developed region or continent mm-hmm. when it comes to jiu-jitsu versus in Europe, for the most part, is still developing, right? Short mm-hmm. of U.K., you know, and some parts of Europe, I mean, it's it's still very much so in the very beginning of 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 that of of that of the of the development of the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that I I think it's probably a, I think a big part of it has to do with like wider sports culture in these countries. Like, um, again, I'm not I'm not an expert on like sports cultures worldwide, but just from my own observations, the U.S. is a very like capitalism profit oriented country right so it makes right, sense yeah. to me that the the most of the jiu-jitsu schools would be like for-profit privately owned businesses whereas you know for instance in sweden i asked the guys there why does the government pay to subsidize this academy and they said that it's done because the swedish government wants everyone to have access to sports which is like yeah the, yeah and i have yeah, some, yeah. i have some insights on that and i don't know okay. how much of it is true but yeah so, yeah so the government essentially pays partial membership of the student mm-hmm. in order for the student to make it more affordable at the same time there are some rules and regulations how much the academy can be charging and other things so not only there's a cap on the suppressed by the business owner but also makes it very available for the student which mm-hmm. makes it very accessible for everybody at the same time the opportunity to make money is by far more limited. And you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. more flatline versus in us. You really have these opportunities to skyrocket from a profitability perspective, you know, and so on. So it's a very different environment. Um, you know, as far as I know, and, and, there are by far more knowledgeable people who can tune in on this, but that's kind of for my conversation and my experiences. I talked to some guys from Sweden too, and that's, that's kind of what I'm, Okay, interesting. Sweden and Poland, yeah. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where it's coming from. L- listen, not a lot of people know, but you are actually, like, quite smart. Like, 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 like you, 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 went to, you went to, like, school and stuff, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. No. Not a lot of people know. It's a well-kept secret. What a, what a segue. Yeah. So, so, listen. But, <laughs> listen, I thought I would break the ice here, you know? And kind of yeah, yeah. But, no, no, on a serious note, <laughs> On a serious note, before before uh, you know the jujitsu became successful and you really start making li- living, you you, mm-hmm. um, you 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 dipped quite into a philosophy. Is that is that is that correct? Yeah. Um, so I was doing a master's degree and applying to PhD programs when I decided to drop out and do jujitsu instead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I mean, there's advantages to each, right? Like I think you could argue that anyone that is pursuing graduate work in philosophy is probably pretty dumb actually to be doing that uh, <laughs> on one side. Right. But in another sense, right. You're there's obviously like, you're going to learn a lot of interesting things going down that road. For instance, like, you know, how to make someone's coffee at Starbucks, how to, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're important yeah. things, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've, n- I've never worked at Starbucks. I'm just kidding. I, instead I would say, so when I was doing uh, school, I was, uh, I worked at a, a vitamin store. I was the manager of a, of a GNC. So an equally like waste of time job, but yeah, it's not, not Starbucks, very lucrative. So. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be yeah. really smart. You're going to ha- be fun to talk to at parties, but you're probably not raking in a lot of money. No. Yeah. I mean, my, my goal was to become a professor. Right. So uh-huh. like that was the, that's the, if you're doing 
like graduate work in philosophy, you're trying to become a professor. There's really nothing else you can do. So like, that's where I was shooting. Um, but yeah, I mean like, well, there take, us, take us take us back take us back to, okay, to yeah. the beginning briefly you know so you, you you go into school how do you what what makes you make that selection why why philosophy what 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 takes you on that part to lead into masters and then phd i mean that's a long route you know yeah. that's a lot of investment from from a personal side to really mm-hmm. go down that way what what takes you on this in, with this subject yeah so i first got into philosophy when i was like around like 12, 13 years old. Uh, my mom went to uh, a Jesuit school, which meant that she had like, she had to take philosophy classes as part of, she wasn't a philosophy student, but she had to take a lot of philosophy classes as part of her curriculum. And so she had lying around the house, um, Albert Camus, Martin Heidegger, um, uh, David Hume, um, you know, like a bunch of different books from like different philosophers who I just like, I wound up, picking them up and reading them and like around, it was a combination of like, when I was like around that age, I started to, I got like very depressed about like, I started to ask questions about like, what is the meaning of life and stuff? And I, 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 I couldn't find answers to these questions. And I, I fell into like a pretty deep depression around that age. And a, a part of it had to do with, um, one of my closest relatives, my grandpa was like, started, his health was starting to fail him. And so I started to get like, I was like thinking about like, okay, wow. Like what is the, the meaning of life when you, you know, the people you love are going to like get sick and old and, and pass away. And are is there any point to any of this? Are we just atoms? Does God exist? You know? And so I, I started reading these books and started, and I, I had so many like philosophical questions, like, you know, things that are like very minute and strange, like how can I say what the meaning of a word is, right? Like what is, uh, how can I identify that my perspective is uh, the same as someone else is in terms of like how it is that we perceive the world, right? Like, and so um, I started to read these books. And then when I went to high school, I got kind of lucky in a sense that um my high school offered a philosophy class, which is pretty rare in the United States. So I took a philosophy class uh, in high school. And then that, that uh, ultimately led to me wanting to study it. In co- like I went to college and I was like, okay, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet, but I knew I liked philosophy. So I just majored in that. And then I just kept going. And <laughs> I knew that I liked research like for, for what makes me happiest in life and this carries true to jujitsu today is that i like spending long periods of time sitting down researching problems and trying to come up with solutions and um and and you know like i watch a lot of tape now i like watching instructionals now and that's that's my research now whereas back then it was i you know i was actually doing it with jujitsu back then too because i started training around the same time that i went to college um but anyway so i was doing jujitsu like research uh, but also like i was reading a ton of books like i was um you know i was trying to resolve 
what I consider to be like very like vexing philosophical problems in my mind, you know, and the only way I felt like I could do that was by dedicating a lot of time to it. And the only way I could dedicate a lot of time to it was by making it like my job, which meant being a professor. So you, you drop out of the PhD program for uh, jujitsu or. Yeah. I, I never started a PhD. Okay. I, I, I didn't even finish a master's. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so that that segue takes place because of jujitsu. Jujitsu is the, the the reasoning why you shift away from the plan yeah. of becoming a professor. Yeah, yeah. So it was a hundred percent because of jujitsu. If it what, was not for jujitsu, I would have kept going. Yeah. What, what, what was the reason? What, what's your what's your justification in your mind? Like, mm-hmm. how does this take place? Like, walk me through your train of thought. You know, yeah. is this is this is this over a month of analyzing data and kind of studying yourself and making a life changing decision? Or this is one day you wake up and say, screw this. I just want sweaty guys to be dripping sweat in my mouth, you know? And <laughs> Well, it, I guess it was kind of like a, it was a little bit of both. Uh, so like, I would say like, so basically what happened was I, I was, I was, you know, studying philosophy. Right. And then at the same time I started, I was training, at Henzo's, uh, as part of the DDS. Right. And then I, I, I didn't really take, I was competing like a lot, you know, and I, and I was pretty serious about it. Like I was training four hours a day, uh, four hours a day, like I would say minimum. In addition to, I was working full, I was working full time, taking grad school classes and training four hours a day. I mean, it was like, and it, it was, it was really, really exhausting. And like, um, like, I started to teach jujitsu like sporadically. Like I did a few seminars here and there um, just for like side money. Right. And then I got an opportunity to travel with a friend of mine to Singapore to coach him and then teach some seminars there. And when I was in Singapore, this is the first time I ever went to Singapore. I've been there a couple of times, but this was the first time I, I had this realization that like I could actually make a living doing this, right? Like, this Singapore trip was just very sporadic. My friend was competing there. He asked me if I wanted to come help coach him. And then I announced I was going and people hit me up for seminars. And it was like, wow, I like, this is something I had never visualized ever doing. Like this was not a planned thing. Like this was just like, wow, I'm going to this really cool, interesting country that like I've heard about, but I never really thought I'd ever go to. And I'm getting to teach jujitsu and make money and meet like cool and interesting people and travel to this really like interesting place. And I thought about like what it is that I actually enjoyed about philosophy. What I enjoyed was the research and the, the life of an academic philosopher is there. It involves a lot of like politics. It involves a lot of like, like I was told by many professors that I was, I was likely going to have to write about topics that weren't really what I was interested in, in order to get uh, like a job. Right. Like I was like, okay, so like, I'm going to give up like 10 years of my life to get a PhD, which is, that's the, that's a reasonable length of time to expect you're going to have to do to, to get a PhD in philosophy in the U S. So I'm going to have to give 10 years of my life to get a PhD, to maybe eventually get a tenured position in like some place I don't really want to live. You have to take whatever job you could get. You can't be picky. Like I could get a job in no offense to Kentucky, but like, I don't really want to live there. But if I got a job in Kentucky, I would have to fucking take it. You get no choice really about anything like that. So, and then you're also, I'm not writing about what I want to write about. So it's like, 
you know, like, whereas in jujitsu, I could do all the stuff that I wanted to do in philosophy with, I could spend my days researching topics that interested me. I could, uh, you know, devote my effort in uh, my efforts towards things that I actually found interesting. And I didn't, I, I thought I wouldn't have to involve myself <laughs> with politics at all. There's jujitsu politics, but I, <laughs> well, that's a reality check for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but at the time I was like, Oh, I'm, and I still do think it's true that I think if you look at, academic philosophy versus your life, your potential life as a jujitsu coach. I do think that there are less politics in jujitsu because like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you would measure that, but it's just like, I think you can avoid the politics a little bit in jujitsu as long as you just try to stay away from it. Yeah. Whereas in philosophy, there's no way you, it, that's that you have yeah. to be involved with it. You, you have to, there's no way around it. I, yeah. I see what you're saying. So if you had to pinpoint one reason would it be the fact of the flexibility of traveling? Was it the compensation? Was it the jujitsu itself that made you choose jujitsu versus philosophy? Like when you go to that, when you go on that trip to Singapore, what is that epiphany? What is that that is like, damn, this completely happened by accident? Yeah. Damn, I could do this for a living. Like how? Why I didn't notice this before? Like, what was the one thing that really stuck with you? So, so there was actually kind of like one moment where I had this like epiphany where I was walking. So it was early one morning and I was walking outside of the hotel we were staying at. And I was right by the, the, the national library in Singapore, like the main branch. And I walked inside and I love, I love libraries because I like research and libraries are really nice, quiet environments where you can sit down, you can study for like hours at a time and you can learn new things. Right. And I went into the library and then I came out of the library. I remember like looking up on it, uh, at it. And I actually put this in my story. So it's cool. I can go back and like re revisit this moment. And I was like, fuck, like, this is like, this is such a better life because it's really about like the freedom to be able to like what I want to do is spend time researching topics that are interesting to me, right? That's what I want to spend most of my time doing. I don't want to have to spend time on like, if I, if I went down the philosophy route, I don't want to have to spend time researching topics that are not immediately interesting to me. And I don't want to have to spend time being involved with like university politics. Like I don't fucking care about either of those things, but here I was able to, traveled to a really interesting place and spend time researching stuff that I actually was interested in because of jujitsu. And like, that was kind of like the epiphany moment, like being outside the national library in Singapore. Um, and yeah. So if that makes sense, do, do you think that, that, that train of thoughts of, of the philosophy route, the um, being anchored into some of those rules and regulations, uh, choosing, you know, having to, write about topics that you don't necessarily agree with or you don't like them, you know, and kind of having this being a location, you know, being somewhere places where you don't necessarily want to be. Is that similar to owning your own academy? And, and where I'm going with this is it appears to me is that what's everything you talk about relates to everything you talk about as far as jujitsu traveling, doing seminars, it relates to this sense of freedom. I, I, I can do, I can do this. And I, you know, I know this is very, I can be very successful with this. I can travel. There is there, nobody's tying me down. I can do what I want essentially while I'm doing this research, which research on itself, it is a sense of freedom. You can, you know, maneuver it any way you like. Now, 
this philosophy route is kind of tied in. Owning Academy is kind of tied in. So I'm wondering if you you enjoy this life of freedom, quote unquote, of traveling, doing seminars, sharing, doing research, would you be happy owning Academy? Is that even in the back of your mind somewhere when you were, you know, older, like Gary 75, you know, you, 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 you gotta do something, you know what, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to talk to you about Seinfeld anymore. Or like what are you going to do? Can't get through the airport because right. they're out of wheelchairs. <laughs> um, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do, but I don't think they're very similar. And I, I actually do want to own an Academy. I don't think they're very similar because the big difference is that, okay, if you're owning an Academy and you do it right, hopefully you actually like jujitsu. So therefore you get to spend your time researching what it is you actually like. Right. <laughs> hopefully you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of different areas in jujitsu. So like you can pick something like you get to choose ultimately what you want to spend your time researching, right? Like yeah. you get, to, if you like the gi, you can spend your time researching the, you know, high level gi competition. Yeah. If you like sub only, you can go down that route. If you like ADCC, blah, 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 whatever. Right. And simultaneously, you also ultimately get to pick where to do it, right? So, like, when I get my Italian passport, I'm going to have the opportunity to either open up anywhere within the European Union or within the United States. So, and I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm leaning pretty heavily towards the United States just for practical reasons. Um, But I'm you know I'm not closed off to Europe. It's a possibility, and um, you know, like so. Uh, because you get to pick where you do it, right? Like no one's putting a gun to your head and making you go somewhere to open an academy. So I, I I don't really view them as being too similar. Um, I I do really want to have an academy. Like that's a goal of mine, right? Like I, right now I'm focused on, I'm really, really focused on the next set of ADCC trials. So I want to get my Italian passport in time and I want to do the European ADCC trials like we're talking like a year and a half from now. Right. So that's everything I'm doing is building towards that. But in the meantime, right. Like I'm, I have to think about making money. So I've got to do seminars and I'm also doing, I want to do the big IBJJF tournaments coming up, like no gi pans, no gi euros, no gi worlds. So that's, those are the short term goals. But the long term is um, trials a year and a half from now. And then after that, like, I'm, you know, that if I, in a year and a half from now, I go and I don't win trials, I'll probably open an academy. If I win, then the choice comes, okay, I've got another year until ADCC. So I'll probably spend another year just focused on training. And then, you know, and eventually I'm going to open an academy, whether it's a year and a half from now, two and a half years, you know, because there, there are major benefits to having your own academy. Um, so yeah, it might even be before then. I don't know, but yeah. It seems like you are extremely goal driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for sure. I, and I like to be like very organized with what I'm doing as much as is possible. Like, I don't. This is one of the things that I don't like about like the super fight community is that sometimes I feel like I can't plan because it's like they'll hit you up like, hey, in a month, do you want to do a super fight? It's like, well, I've already planned like a seminar that day. You know what I mean? This is why, like, I one of the reasons I like tournaments better. Ultimately, because I can look at the calendar, I can look at, oh, Nogi Worlds are in December. I, you know, that's uh, several, you know, so several months from now, and I can plan out that far, right? Um, I, it's reasonable to expect, I don't know the exact date, but the next European trials are going to be anywhere from September to October 2023, right? That's, that's pretty um, reasonable to expect. Leave a little yeah. bit more predictability if, 
with yeah that. for sure yeah do you think that jujitsu competition whether sub only or tournament style will ever get to the point where you guys don't have to do seminars or own an academy you can actually make a living off of performance athletic mm-hmm. performance I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think that the attempt to shoehorn that in, into jujitsu kind of like spoils what I find interesting about it, actually. So, so, like, you, don't, so you don't think that jujitsu will ever become what UFC is? I mean, no so chance. mainstream, yeah. so mainstream in the, you know, trillions of dollars of revenue and so on. Hmm. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it can become mainstream, but I don't like. I don't think it'll ever be a profitable spectator sport. So like look at grappling sports worldwide, right? Judo, wrestling, um, you know, Sambo, sports Sambo, not combat Sambo. Like these are very popular, but they're not, they're not profitable spectator sports. None of them are right. I don't know. I I don't know, Robert. Come on. Judo is what number two sport in the world. You don't think it's profitable. It's not packing stadiums. Right? It, it, well, it, even if it is, it's it's it, the reason why those guys are able to do what they're doing is because it's an Olympic sport and it's subsidized by the government. Um, I you know, if you made it purely for profit, I don't know if it would be. Um, I don't know if it would be sustainable. It's it, ultimately when we're talking about profitable spectator sports for uh, spectator combat sports. The ones that are that have a proven track record are all striking sports or involve striking. Right. So MMA boxing, uh, Muay Thai, uh, to, to a lesser extent, kickboxing, right? I'd say MMA, boxing, those are the two most proven profitable combat sports, right? Mm-hmm. People like to see other people getting punched in the face, right? Like Entertainment purposes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, the yeah. knockout will always score more viewers than a submission. It just, For sure. it just always will. I think we yeah. just need to break more arms. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> There's See, my that's, solution. <laughs> that's and that turns more violence. Yeah, more violence. <laughs> that turns people off, though. I think, right? I mean, I, I think a not a quick knockout, not quick in the sense of early in the round, but a a, a quick hard knockout um, is seemingly less violent than dislocating an yeah, elbow. Is such a right? big. This is a nonsense. Right, it is. It is. But I think, but to the to the viewer, I mean, I think it's 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 much more violent when something gets broken. You know. So so you think so in that train of thought, you you (laughs) think that instructors will continue, will need to continue doing seminars, um, private lessons, owning academy, to really enjoy the life of the competitor. Yeah, I, I think that the way we should think about it is um, you are a professional instructor, first and foremost, and your competitive goals are something that we're ultimately doing more for ourselves than for anyone else. And there's nothing wrong with like people who want to try to turn it into a spectator sport. I don't have a problem with it. In fact, I'm, I, I, I like seeing it. Right. Like I would no one on earth would be happier to be wrong about what I just said than me. Like I would love if it became a spectator sport where we can make money competing. I just, the one thing I don't want is it to be done at the expense of the integrity of the sport. And when I say that, I don't mean like, Oh, people shouldn't talk shit. I I don't personally want to talk shit, but I don't really give a fuck. If other people do that's their own business, right? Like ultimately guys involved in competitive sports are going to talk shit to each other, especially when it's like a combat sport. What I mean when I say the integrity of the sport is I mean more so like 
doing dumb things with the rules, which make it like silly, you know, like. So, so what um, you're saying is to water down the rules in order for it to make it entertaining to address yeah. to, to, to attract more people to watch. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to like point out specific rule sets, but like I've seen some rule sets you which can. are just like, you yeah. can. Nobody's, just listening. Had, nobody's listening. Yeah, nobody's listening to this anyway. Who cares? <laughs> well, we just had Daniel uh, Maya on and he like broke down all the rule sets talking about how you can game them yeah. and be really boring and be right, really, right. you know, and, and almost cheat the system. Uh, but I think yeah. you're, we're talking about it a little differently is to set the system up so that people are entertained more. Yeah. So, so I like rule sets, which encourage people to do what I, obviously there's bias involved here. There's, there's always going to be bias. What I would consider to be good jujitsu. And I would consider good jujitsu to be a combination of positional skills and submission based skills. So if there's a rule set and I see someone get mounted and then they're back taken and then in overtime they, they arm bar the other guy. I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? You know what I mean? Like, I hate that shit. Like, um, you know, obviously that's EBI. That would be EBI rules, for instance, right? Like, I I want it. I want to see good grappling rewarded, and I consider good grappling to be positional grappling and submission uh, grappling, right? Both. I want to see both air major areas uh, of of the skills of grappling rewarded for being done well. And I don't like seeing rule sets where that's not the case. So, like. And, and then I, and there's also just rules that are just like mega wacky where it's like, it's, you know, you've got tag team, you know, stuff. Which, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have no problem with that as like a fun sideshow. Right. Uh-huh. In fact, it's, I'll watch it. It can be entertaining. Right. I just don't want to see that become like the main thing. Right. Like I, we have to like, if you look at the early history of professional wrestling, for instance, it was at one point a series of legitimate wrestling matches. These, it was catch wrestling. Right. But what 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 promoters realized was, oh, two equally matched, highly skilled opponents is not as fun as a scripted shit show. Right. So for the for the average paying you know, audience member. Right. So I don't want to see jujitsu turn it. I just don't want it to turn into that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I want it to keep its integrity in the sense that it re, it remains a sport where the skill of the athletes is the most important thing overall. And it gets rewarded. You, you get rewarded for your skill. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask you this then. In, in striking, the ultimate goal is to knock somebody out. In judo, the ultimate goal is to throw somebody and them landing on their back. Mm-hmm. In wrestling, perhaps more complexity. However, the goal is very simple. It's to pin somebody to the ground. I feel like in jiu-jitsu, because it's so broad what we can do, and there is so much diversity as far as positions, submissions, transitions, so on. It's very difficult to pinpoint what the true goal is, mm-hmm. right? Submission on its own is not, in my mind, it's not necessarily the goal because you can be top, bottom, sideways, upside down, moving constantly. Like, do you think that there is an ideal rule set for jiu-jitsu? Are we mm-hmm. always going to have to take these sacrifices of, 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 you know, watering down somewhere to make it entertaining. Because ultimately, listen, if nobody's watching jujitsu, you can't do anything for a living. I can't do anything for a living. This show doesn't exist. My academy needs to close down. Like, there has to be a certain level of attraction to what we do. 
Yeah. Well, all, all grappling rule sets have bias towards the the uh, execution of certain skills, right? right? So, for instance, like folk style wrestling, it looks very different than Greco or freestyle. And true, you know, yeah. And what skills will be uh, encouraged by that given rule set is going to like motivate uh, what skills the athletes develop. Right. So we have to ultimately make a certain decision about like, what do we care about seeing? Right. And in jujitsu, I don't think there's any rule set. My opinion is the IBJJF rule set is the best. If they got rid of advantages and what I would like, this will never happen, but what I would like is get rid of advantages and add points for near submissions. So this is actually what Naga does. Uh, Naga is kind of like a small, you know, they've been around a long time, but nobody looks at them as a serious tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I like, or Kasai did this actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kasai, Kasai, the matches were too short. That's my problem with it. But like, I like that show. I like that show. They were awesome. Um, I think they're, I think they're done. That's what I've heard. But yeah, yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. Um, so like, okay. So, um, I, and, and like the reason why I like that, let's say you had IBJJF, but with Naga or Kasai's rules regarding near submissions, which is you could get one or two points for a near submission. Um, I don't, I don't remember how Kasai did it, but in Naga, it's like, it's ref's discretion, how close it is. So it can be one or two. Um, and so like, I really like that because what it does is it encourages, okay, guard passing skills to get developed, guard retention skills to get developed, pinning skills to get developed, back taking skills, you know, uh, pin escapes. And it also encourages submissions. I I don't think you need the submission points because we already have like the, the, the encouragement to pursue submission is already there in the sense that if you get the submission, the match is over and you win. Right. So like that's, that's always going to be there. Right. But I think it's important to have points for earning position because I want there to be something that encourages athletes to move towards those positions. And and we could have debate about what positions should earn points, right? But I think that the way the IBJJF does it is pretty good where, okay, uh, the, the, you know, side control, you pass the guard, neon belly, mount back control. These are all, you know, and obviously positional changes, right? Like a sweep or a takedown that scores you points as well. So like, yeah, I think this is, I think it's pretty good that way. And we can debate endlessly what, uh, like, let's say you, um, you, uh, take the back and you, and IBJJF, you throw on a body triangle, there's no points there. Obviously most people agree that's idiotic, right? That's pretty stupid. But that's just how it is under that rule set, right? I think it should get changed. But as, as it stands, if you're a competitor and you're going into that rule set, you have to know that, right? You have to know, oh, I, I need the hooks. I, I, you could even argue like a, like a high ball ride. I don't know if you guys know what a high ball ride is, where you only have around one leg, right? That is just as controlling, in my opinion, as, as uh, uh, if not more than having both hooks in, right? But there's no points for that, right? And, and you could argue it's more controlling, but we have to ultimately have semi-arbitrary lines. It's a sport. You have to have these semi-arbitrary yeah. lines where you say, this is where the points are scored. This is a, this is a goal, right? And, you know, it's, and, it's how and, it let's be, and let's be honest, no matter what rules we have, even an ideal quote-unquote situation, ideal rules, there will be always somebody who doesn't like them. 
There will be always somebody who will say, well, this rule is stupid. You know, but I don't like this. This is not my preference. But what you said is very important. Is once you, When you engage into these situations of competing in these specific rule sets, one, you need to know the rule sets. And two, in my opinion, you need to shut up. You need to be quiet. Those are the rules, and you need to play by them. If you don't like yeah. it, you don't play them. So it, 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 I think those are the kind of important anchors, you know, and, 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 and hopefully we'll continue developing this because Jiu-Jitsu has evolved in the last five, ten years tremendously. I mean, what I remember Jiu-Jitsu 20-plus years ago is not what it is today. It's, it's actually mind-blowing, especially like watching Worlds this weekend, you know, and you have some of these pioneers retiring, Zanji and Labata Jr. and all, you know, Mendes brothers and you know, getting inducted to Hall of Fame and all that. I mean, like I watched these guys way back, decade ago, you know, and, and, and today they are the, the, the right on the top. They, they are the guys we all look up to and, and they have – Kind of painted the path for all of us. So, you know what a what, what a phenomenal developing, continuously developing sport it is. <laughs> Let's pivot this a little bit back. Are you smiling? Why are you smiling? This is serious uh, topics we are talking about. This is not Seinfeld, okay? This is serious <laughs> jujitsu business here. Again, yeah. When we started, you were talking about how I was happy. I told you <laughs> that by the end of this, I wouldn't be. And I think this is the turning point right here. <laughs> oh, no. This is the this is it. Crab, Crank, I'll be fine with you. Cranky, okay, great, great. Crank, it's not a problem. Crank, you and I won't. I mean, not that, God forbid. But yes, it started. Has it started. Hey, right. do, do you remember? So, do you remember your very first day on the mat? Um, I I do. Well, it depends on. If, so I started wrestling first. Um, so if you talk, if you count that, then no, I don't remember my very first day. But jujitsu, I do. I remember my first jujitsu session ever, and I um, I had watched a ton of like jujitsu on YouTube. And I was super, I was like very uh, excited to get started. And when I showed up my first class, I had wrestled. So I had wrestling experience and I, I knew a few things because I had BJ pens. I had two books. I had um, Eddie Bravo's mastering, actually, sorry, three books. I had Eddie Bravo's mastering the rubber guard. Yep. I had Marcelo Garcia's X guard book. And I had BJ pens, uh, he called it the book of knowledge, kind of a silly name for a jujitsu book, but <laughs> that's what it was called. <laughs> and, uh, I had these three books. So I had like a basic understanding of like guard position and mountains and, and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, my first session, I just kind of like, I didn't really know what I was doing, obviously, but like, because I had those books, I think I knew a little bit more than your average white belt. So like, yeah, I remember somebody put me in an omoplata and I was like, Oh, okay. I, I saw this in the BJ pen book. This is an omoplata, right? Like, you know, and then, uh, somebody put me in a triangle and I had the same thought. I was like, Oh, okay. This is a triangle. I'm about to get this tapped is, out. And, this is what it feels yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long did you wrestle before you um, started jujitsu? So I, I wrestled, I did one practice when I was like eight. So I guess I do remember my first day of grappling ever because I did one practice I hated it and I quit. <laughs> and then I came back when I was 14 and from 14 or maybe I might've been 13. So like 13 or 14 to 18, I wrestled. And I did, I did that because, um, my, my mom wanted me to play a sport. I, I was not like a, a sporty athletic kid growing up. She wanted me to play a sport and my friends were on the wrestling team. So I was like, all right, I'll just fucking do that. I guess. <laughs> Just stop bothering me. Be quiet. I'll yeah, just do yeah. it finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, so was that? Go ahead. Sorry. No. Well, I was just going to say we talked. We talked to a lot of people who've come from wrestling in those first days. I was about on to the, bring that yeah, up. I would that, love that. Those first, yeah. Uh, Alex um, Human was like, you know, he wrestled for years through college, hits the mats and gets, in his words, demolished, just destroyed. Uh, and then he was like, "Oh, I need to know this." Instead of like, "Okay, I'm no good at this," you know, and stepping away from it, he was like. Wow, what just happened? I need to know this. Was it a similar experience? Like, I mean, you had a little bit of knowledge, but when, when you actually hit the mats, was it like, oh my God, this is amazing and I really need to to dive into it? I, I think I'd actually already had that moment kind of just by watching it. Like I when I started training, I already knew I was gonna keep training, right? Like I didn't foresee not doing it um, because I had watched so much of it. Like when I was wrestling, I like at about like, so 16 years old, I did a few classes. I mean, I don't even really count this as me starting, but I did like a few classes at Sarah's met Sarah's gym over the summer. I don't like, I, I don't even count that as me really starting, but like, and I, I knew I wanted to keep doing it, but I didn't have the money to, I couldn't afford it at the time. So I just went back to wrestling and I was like, man, I, I know I want to do this. I watched like a lot of guys on, on YouTube, like Shinya Aoki and BJ Penn and, you know, um, so I, I kind of knew I was going to stick with it. So it wasn't like when I showed up, like I definitely got my ass kicked because I didn't know what I was doing, but it wasn't like I was like, I was like, I was expecting to get my ass kicked. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't shocked by it. I was just like, all right, well I want to like learn how to do this stuff. And I, I jumped in like, as soon as I started training, I started training like a ton. Like I was training like twice a day, you know, because I was like, I want to pick up really fast because I, I had like, um, in wrestling, I had tried, I, I tried really, really hard, but I was just like always mediocre. Like I wasn't very good. Like I was okay. You know, I, I wasn't like terrible, you know, I was a decent average level varsity wrestler, but I really wanted to be like great, but I just, I just never was. And when I started jujitsu, I was like, okay, this is my opportunity. I can try again. You know, I, I could be great at this instead, you know? Um, and I never, when I say great, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll be like a world champion. I was just like, I just want to be like a good black belt. You know what I mean? So that was the goal. I wanted to get good. And I, I in between my school and my work schedule, any time that I had free, I pretty much was, was training. What, what was different between those two mindsets, between the wrestling, early on the wrestling and, <laughs> and when you were doing jujitsu, you said, I wanted to try it again. I want to do this different. I want to, I want to actually be good at this. What, what, what was different as far as your approach? Well, the biggest thing is that wrestling in the U S is almost entirely connected to school. So when you're, yeah. you, you have like a very limited time frame, and you can also only practice when, when you're in season or if you're doing like camps in the summer and I usually didn't have the money to do these big camps. So like I would, I just, I just didn't have enough time to train. You know what I mean? Like, so I would, I remember one summer I did like a, a there was a two week camp uh, and I paid for the first week and I didn't have the money for the second week. And the coach who was running the camp saw how much I wanted to keep training. And he was really nice. He let me do the second week for free. You know, but that was, that's a rare thing. And that's two weeks we're talking about. You know what I mean? How much progress are you going to make in two weeks? Whereas in jujitsu, I could show up every day. You know what I mean? 
uh, you know, by that point I had a steady job, you know, I started working, I, I got a job at a pizzeria when I was 17. So that I was able to afford to actually jujitsu is not fucking cheap in the U S you know? So it's more expensive than wrestling. But the difference is when I was younger, I didn't have a job. So when I was older, I had the job that I could pay for jujitsu. So I could show up to jujitsu every day, you know, and it was that ability to train more consistently without like a timeline, you know, in wrestling, you've got, for you, I, I started late middle school, early high school was what I, you know, I did one year in middle school and then I had four years in high school. So I had five years, you know, like how good can you get in five years? You can get a lot better, but especially it's not even really five years. It's the, 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 the season, you know, yeah, so you're talking yeah. five seasons and then I would, I would lift weights in the off season. I would run a lot. I would swim a lot. I would do camps where I could afford to do them. And I would like beg training partners to train. I'd be like, come on, let's, let's get together. Let's train. But like how often do fucking high school kids want yeah, to do yeah. that? You know, not, not that often. So it, the training opportunities were limited. I think with jujitsu, you have far greater training opportunities. So and, and with wrestling, because the training opportunities are more limited, it really rewards the kids that are going to be more naturally athletic, you know? So like that, not, not always, or the kids that are maybe from a family of wrestlers. So they have year round access to training or whatever. I didn't have either of those things. So with jujitsu, I had the ability to train every day. I could study matches. Like I studied a lot. Like I would always be on YouTube Uh, back in the day, you know, Budo videos was kind of the the flow of its time. Right. I'd be on Budo videos all the time. I still have a Budo videos account. Uh, And like, um, so I think that was the, a a lot of people were probably expecting me to say something like, well, wrestling is not about technique and jujitsu is, I think that's complete total bullshit. They're both highly technical. I think wrestling is definitely, you have a higher athletic requirement than in jujitsu. That's definitely the case. But I do think that you can be a very successful wrestler. Like I'm not an unathletic guy. I'm just like average level. Right. And I think an average level athletic guy could succeed in wrestling. I just would need more training consistency than was available to me when I was in school. Whereas with jujitsu, because it's a for profit thing, because you can train every day, pretty much. If you want to, it's a lot easier. You have way more opportunities to, to learn and develop and, and get better. Yeah. So you talk quite a bit about training opportunities, consistency of training, studying videos, really continuous improvement. You talk about training twice a day, four hours a day. Is mm. that the expectation that, that one should set for themselves as an average grappler? You know, I don't know. I'm a mechanic, doctor, whatever, a lawyer, whatever, whatever the case might be. I don't do jujitsu for a living. Is mm-hmm. that is that the goal that they should be setting for themselves to train I mean, to that level to that frequency? It just depends on what your goals are. I mean, for the average person, that's not reasonable. But I mean, I do, keep in mind though that like, so I when I was in grad school, I was training like four hours a day, working 39 hours a week. You'll notice not 40. So they didn't have to give me benefits. (laughs) Yeah. They were fucking rat bastards. But anyway, (laughs) working 39 hours a week and going, and I had a full-time class schedule. You know what I mean? Walk me through your day. Walk me through your day. It changed a lot depending on the day. So I like, I worked. So for instance, to make up the 39 hours, I would work every Sunday from like eight to five and uh, Saturdays I usually had off. I requested Saturdays off so I could go to competitions 
And I, I only worked, if I remember correctly, I think it was four days out of the week. And that would be like, uh, I forget how many, but one day would be like a 12 hour day. I think I had like two 12 hour days, which comes up to 24 and then two seven hour days or so, something like that. And then like, um, it, but the thing is, I will say it was a super easy job. I mean, I was the manager of a GNC, you know what I mean? Like I spent most of my days, um, like watching jujitsu videos on my phone, you know, like sitting around, like not really doing that much to stock the shelves. If somebody came in, I would say, hi, you want to buy some protein, right? Like wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't working like manual labor or something. Right. Um, anyway, so I would be doing that. And, and I would also do a lot of homework when I was, uh, at, at work, but yeah. So the, a, a semi-average day would look like, okay, I get up, I would drive my car to Queens. I would park my car at Queens college, which is where I went to school. Then I would take the bus to the subway. I would take the subway to 30th street in Manhattan. I would walk then to Henzo's, sorry, to 34th street. So I got off at the 34th street Herald square, uh, station. Then I would walk to 30th street, which is where Henzo's is. I would train. I would train from about, this is all happening at like 5 AM in the morning. And then I would train from like seven 30 to like, let's say about 1230. And then I would go after that, I would take the train and then the bus back. I would either take classes like, college classes, right? At the end of the day, or I would go to work. So that was most days, right? So we'd be training in the morning and then either work or school. And with the classes, I would pack them in such a way that I would make sure I would never work and go to classes on the same day. You know what I mean? So like, because there's just no way logistically I could get there, you know? Um, it's just like, cause, cause I had pretty long commutes as well. So yeah. So I would take like two classes and then my day would end at like 10 PM or if I was working, it could end at like 11 PM. Right. So, and then actually the now probably, probably just 10 PM, but the then re- I would, the reason why I'm drop. asking this is because often we find ourselves in the positions where, you know, we are tired, long day, you know, and, and, and it's at times jujitsu is the one that falls as a sacrifice of a long day, if you will, you know, ah, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and again, your situation might have been different because you're looking at this as a professional, you know. But for many out there, it's a, it's a strong hobby. It's a getaway form. It's, it's a, you know, opportunity to work out and, and learn, learn jiu-jitsu and so on and do what we love. But yet, so often, it does fall short, you know, after a long day, after when we are exhausted, long week, whatever, 39 hours of, of work <laughs> and all that, right? But it it it... it, it I'm trying to pick your mind here. What drives you to put this enormous amount of time between school, work, and jujitsu? Because all that adds up to, you know, as I'm counting, probably somewhere around 70, 80 hour weeks, right? I mean, you you, you tell me, but it, it yeah. has to be somewhere there. That your work is almost 40 plus everything else that you do, Right. Yeah, it, it, it was like not easy. I mean, I look at that time in my life and I sometimes like actually kind of miss it because I, I was, I like being busy. I'm a person who like, I don't like having too much downtime because like, I just get really bored fast. Um, I think it's like, like a high in neuroticism, maybe like I want to go, go, go. <laughs> oh, 
Can you, no, 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 no. I'm saying agreeing, this guy right he, here. This yeah. guy right oh, here. Oh, oh, oh. Same thing. I thought you were saying something was on no, the no, audio. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> this guy right here. I can't sit still. He can tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's always go, go, Yeah, go. yeah. Um, but exactly yeah but so but keep in so keep in mind at this time in my life i wasn't doing this because i was thinking to myself oh i'm gonna be a full-time jujitsu guy i was doing this because that's when danaher's classes were and i wanted to learn from him like there was even one moment where danaher asked me if i wanted to be a full-time he's like do you want to make your living in the martial arts and i said uh, no i just want to be a philosophy professor but i really love jujitsu um and i wanted to train seriously you know i was at an academy filled with guys who were full-time guys, but I was myself not a full-time guy, and I wasn't intending on becoming one. My, I really loved jiu-jitsu. Like, I, I think what motivated me was that like I'm the kind of person that if I do something and I really like it, I wind up getting obsessed with it. So that's kind of – I was super obsessed with it. But I didn't really think of it as something – I don't know. I was very focused on like being coming a philosophy professor because I saw that as more like a legitimate way to make a living. You know what I mean? Um, I was like, oh, this is like it's a real job with a salary, you know, yeah. and jujitsu is definitely not that. Um, and so like, yeah. And so like, but I was training because I just I just I loved it, you know, and there was that was really it. Do you think that that stigma around jujitsu still exists? Meaning it's really not a real job. You can't make money, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, being a philosopher or being a GNC manager is a little bit more, t more, more tangible, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that that, that still continues? Um, I mean, like that was just in my own head. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that, I mean, I, I'm making a living teaching jujitsu. And I think that it's entirely possible. You can make a living teaching jujitsu. You can make a living running tournaments. You can make a living selling jujitsu clothes. You can make a living, you know, doing all sorts of things in jujitsu. So obviously it's not true. It was just like, obviously, obviously like what was my, what was in my head, right? I thought to myself, okay, uh, this is a tangible career route. Jujitsu is it just didn't occur to me that it like could be, you know what I mean? So the, like the reason yeah. why I'm asking is because I just had this conversation with, with, with somebody and, and you know, their comment was like, yeah, you can't really make money on jujitsu. And I, I kind of looked around the room we were standing in and I was like, <laughs> I hope we do because <laughs> this yeah, is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah. but I'm wondering if that stigma exists for the general population as, you know, jujitsu is more of a, you know, hobby, you know, there's no money in it, which that might've been a case maybe a decade ago, but I don't know. Today there are some very, very successful, very successful. Yeah. Um, it's all about perception, right? I mean, people mm -hmm. don't, they don't know it. So they have a preconceived notion of what it is. I remember I have a buddy who's like the nicest guy in the world. I've never seen him mad at anybody except for one time when I said, are you, you know, when I was, we were both a lot younger, but I was like, he was a bartender and I was like, you know, are you going to get a real job? And in my perception of a real job at the time was you clocked in, you clocked out, you got a paycheck from a corporation you know, and, and that was a real job. And he was like, what are you talking? Look how effing hard I work. Look at what I'm doing. And now, you know, he owns three super successful bars in the city. Uh, he had a real job. You just, my perception wasn't yeah. keyed in on yeah. that, you know? And I think it's the same way in jujitsu as people think, oh, you just go and hang out with your buddies, roll around a little bit, <laughs> you know, and then you're done and it's not real. It's not legit. Yeah. I, I think it's important to understand that so like you're not making a living 
training. You know what I mean? Like, I think Mm -hmm. some young kids, they go, wow, you can make a living in jujitsu. That's just like what I do at the Academy, right? Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no one is paying you to just train with your friends, right? You're getting paid to. So for instance, I guess I'll I'll give you guys an example, right? Let's say you're a famous jujitsu guy. Like, let's say you're, you're Nikki Ryan, right? Nikki Ryan is getting his job is teaching, right? He makes a living through, and also he gets paid he, because he's a super famous guy. He'll get paid decent amounts to compete. Right. But like still the bulk of what he's doing is going to be teaching, right? His instructionals, seminars, um, classes, stuff like that. Right. That's his job. But then he also trains clearly. Right. Like, so you've got to figure out a way. Okay. Okay. Ultimately, what's going to make me great at jujitsu is going to be the training, but what's going to make me a living can be the teaching. And if you want to make a, I think when most people say they're full-time jujitsu, what they mean is they're uh, an instructor, right? Um, Whereas you could be a highly successful jujitsu athlete and not be an instructor. So there have been guys who had date, you know, regular day jobs or whatever, who did really well competitively because they were able to find a way to get their, their own personal training in around their job. It's just, it's probably easier to do that if you're an instructor, because if you're an instructor, you're already at the Academy. So you can train while you're, you could train while you're teaching classes. You know what I mean? So like, um, it's, it's just easier to do it as an instructor, but it's still definitely possible to do it with another job. It's just like hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, for some of those competitors, it's like the vicious circle of in order for you to be a good instructor, you have to train in order for you to make money. You have to compete because the exposure, that's what brings you the, the, the people purchasing your product. Now, in order for you to, um, you know, being able to train, you need the academy and it's like that vicious circle, never ending circle. Just, you know, you need one to the other, to the other, to the other in order for it to, to coexist as, as this cohesive circle system, if you will, you know, yeah. and, and just continuing that, creating these opportunities and opening these doors. So yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely, I, I'm hoping that all of this will continue evolving where more guys can really have these opportunities. And I think in this country, in the U S it's much easier to do that than, than in Europe, what you were t- yeah. saying, but I do hope that even Europe continues evolving with jujitsu from that business perspective. And some of these opportunities will continue or begin um, for some of the others, because it, you know, it's kind of sitting back and, and looking at some of these well-talented, like super talented guys who can share jujitsu. They are even very good instructors and they sometimes, they don't have these opportunities to actually make living on it. And that, that, that kind of, you know, that kind of makes me sad. It's like, you know, I wish there was more opportunities for these guys, you know, and I'm hoping that as time goes on, some of these things continue adjusting and, you know, we, we all can share this beautiful beautiful art with the rest of the world as it continue evolving. I think that there are a lot more opportunities now than there have ever been before because of two reasons. Obviously the the, the obvious one is the sports growing, right? But the second one is that as it grows, you're moving into areas where, um, so right now, most quality online jujitsu instruction is going to be in the English language, right? But if you think about it, like there's tons of people out there that can't speak English who would probably yeah. also be interested in learning this stuff. So, for instance, I have a friend, uh, Pierre Olivier Leclerc, who is he's Canadian. He's from Quebec. He can speak, you know, French was his first language because he's Quebecois, right? He's from, yeah. from Quebec, right? So he has an online jujitsu website, which is in French, which I think is a super smart idea right now. Th- that's an entire market that like, yeah. for instance, someone such as myself cannot tap into, yeah. right? Like, 
you know, so, and there's, uh, I have friends in India who like I've suggested to, I was like, man, why don't you make a jujitsu website where you teach in Hindi? You know what I mean? Yeah. Think about all the fucking people that can connect to. Or- I, I know, yeah, I know few few guys in Poland who who you know have their own literally instructional websites in Polish, and I was like, that's freaking brilliant. Nobody else does yeah. this. Like, you know, it, it it's and there's some phenomenal Polish freaking. Oh, here we go. Yeah, for sure, Thomas yeah. is Polish, if you don't know, and no, it's all he's been Polish, talking about yeah, lately. Pol- yeah, okay. no, Polish, Polish guys are awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're we, definitely one of the best in Europe for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Say it again. Yeah. I, just, I want Gary to hear his this headphones are gonna break. They're gonna snap. <laughs> his head's just getting bigger and bigger. Well, if you just look at who who, if you look at the ADCC trials performances, yeah. Poland, the two highest medal winning countries in Europe at the trials are Poland and Finland. I'm not sure who's number one now, but that's the top two. Yeah. So yeah, just statistically, yeah. they're like one of the best. Yeah. No, definitely, jujitsu is growing in Europe. That's that. That's no no doubt. Listen, uh, Rob, we've been at this for more than an hour. Um, you know, before we kind of start wrapping this up, one of the things that we do at the end of every episode, we have a question for you from a previous guest, mm-hmm. but they did not know it's going to be you answering it. So it's kind of a, a little tricky thing here, but the question is very interesting, and uh, Gary's going to take a lead on this. Yeah, so uh, I mentioned him earlier, Alex uh, Human. We had him on yesterday, uh, and he had two questions, one for an Academy owner, which you don't yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he also asked, um, for your competition, what would you have done differently to make your experience better? So not necessarily wins or losses, but just the overall experience, your competition experience better. Um, well, I think I would have done something differently in order to like get better results because I think that would have made my experience so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but, like, um, I think he was kind of talking about like nerves a lot yeah. yesterday, or things like state. that. Yeah, yeah, your mental state. Um, I think that like, okay, so I was actually thinking about this today, and this might sound like dumb, but honestly, like I'm gonna try this out. I think it'll make a hopefully a difference of some kind. I've never had. You ever see at the IBJJF tournaments? Those you always got those dudes with the big ass headphones, right? Uh-huh. Like. Yeah. I've never had that before a tournament. <laughs> I've never had like big ass headphones that stay on my head that like help me like, cause like, I don't know. I never really used music to like stay in the zone before competition. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about literally just today. I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to, I'll buy a pair of those bigger headphones. So for the next tournament I do, I can experiment with like using music to stay focused before my matches. Right. I've never, I, I, I've never done that before. So yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. it's something that, I got to try. I remember uh, a few years back, Michael Phelps, somebody was talking smack about him and he was just sitting in the back with his headphones on, right? Mm-hmm. In his, in his gear with a towel around his neck. And he was just sitting there listening to music and people were like in his face and he just, he was zoned out and you know, and how many gold medals did he win yeah. that year? Hey, well, listen, focus and mental state is probably <clears throat> more important than the physical state at that present moment. I don't know. You tell me, you, um, do you think which one is more important if you had to pick one? <clears throat> well, I think that ultimately what matters the most is it's hard to say there's a single mental state you have to occupy because like there's different guys that have different, like some guys are just going to be like, I, you know, I know people that are just like, Oh, I'm obviously going to win. I'm going to fuck all these guys up. Right. Like some people would just go in like that. And then there's some guys that go in that are super nervous and you know, there's a whole spectrum of different mental states. 
And and what mental state you have doesn't necessarily determine whether you win or lose, right? There's some guys that are mega nervous who who do really well being mega nervous, right? Um, so it's hard to say there's a single given mental state that is what you need to achieve. I just think that you've got to find what works for you. And the, the number one thing that you have to do is you have to find a way to physically execute, right? Ultimately, we're talking about a physical sport, right? Um, I've been told by people before that I have a good poker face, that I don't look super nervous when I compete, but I, I definitely am. Like I have a lot of nerves, right? Like I, I get nervous when I compete. Now that doesn't mean that I don't think I'm going to win. Like I oftentimes do think that um, like I have confidence in myself. I believe that I can win. Right. I wouldn't be going out there if I didn't, but that, I don't know the nerves. It like, doesn't really have to do with that. Like it's, it's just, it's always there. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a motivation to, to do well. Like if I wasn't nervous, I think I would feel worried. Like, Oh, what's going on? Like, do I not care about this anymore? You know, like, I think I feel nervous because I do care. You know, I want to go out there and I want to do well because it matters to me. So like, I think the way to think about it is like, okay, you got to find, you got to accept whatever mental state comes to you. Like you don't have control over that. If you're a more nervous guy, if, if George Costanza was a jiu-jitsu competitor, I don't think he would be, you know, he would be different than Kramer. Kramer would go out there and he'd be like, I'm going to fuck these guys. Up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. George, yeah. George would be worrying, you know, uh-huh. like that's, that's okay. They, they can both get the job done. You just yeah. got to like accept your mental state for what it and just Jer- sort of meant. So and Jerry that- would be even Steven. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what's yeah, your, then, what's your mental state right before the match? So even for a moment, just visualize even more, your most recent mm-hmm. one, you're about to step on the mat. You're about 60 seconds out. What, what's going through your mind? What, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about anything? So I think the first thing I, I just try to think about like, what is the first thing I'm going to do? Like, what's the very first thing I'm going to do? And then I try to let it go from there. Right. So I'm standing there, I'm thinking about, okay, I'm about to step on the mat and I just focus on my mind. Okay. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to shake the guy's hand or I'm going to shake the ref's hand. I'm going to shake the guy's hand. Um, we're both going to step back. We're going to probably slap bump and then I'll most likely pull guard. And then I'll, I'll, what's the first grip I'm going to look to make. And sometimes that grip isn't there, right? Maybe he's doing something different than what I expected. Right. Okay. That's all right. You got to just think I'm just going to flow into the next thing, but I try to have like a basic general to the plan to the first step, right? I I used to have much stricter game plans, but what I found in time is that like at a higher level, it just becomes an unreliable thing to, to have because like you just like you're dealing with people that are just too good that you can't predict. Oh, he's, he's definitely going to do this or he's definitely going to do that. Even if you've seen him compete a hundred times, right? He could change what he's doing. I think it's good to understand what they're good at, right? Like on a general level, like if somebody has a super dangerous, like knee bar, okay, maybe don't put yourself in that position to get knee bar. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. maybe let's avoid that. Maybe that's his thing. Right. And you want to, or maybe bait him to go for it and counter it. Right. That, that can play into it, but ultimately you can't, that can't be the only thing on your mind because if that doesn't appear, you're fucked. And I've had experiences with this where I went into matches with mega strict game plans and it just, it didn't work because it, the guy didn't do what I was expecting. Like I've seen, I'd seen him compete many times. This is what they always did. And then they don't do it. You're like, Oh, Oh fuck. This was dumb as shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you, when you are in that moment, when you are in that moment, you're in competition, things are moving and, 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 and you, 
you know, you're looking at the situation. Is there an active train of thought in your head, meaning he's putting his foot, I'm going to grip, I'm going to do this? Or is it more a free-flowing, natural um, reaction, action, reaction kind of scenario that is unfolding? What, what's, your, what, what's happening in your head? Both, I think both things are happening. Like sometimes I'll be in the middle of a match and something will happen. Like I'll hit a move and I'll be like, oh, okay, that was pure instinct. Like I hit that really quick. Uh, but sometimes there's also like the deliberate thought process. Like I'll be in a position and I'll think, okay, that didn't work. I'll chain this into this instead, right? I'll try to get them with this. You know, I, I think there's always going to be a certain interaction of the instinctive and the deliberate, and maybe that changes based upon the person, right? Maybe if you're a more analytical person, there's more like considered thought, more deliberation. Whereas a guy like, you know, maybe Marcelo Garcia, I don't know for sure, but he seems like a very like instinctive guy. Maybe he's just fucking going with the flow, you know, I, you know, it's possible, right? Yeah. I'm curious Um, what's, what's in your head because I'm personally very, I I analyze every situation. I'm almost, almost talk to myself in my Mm -hmm. head. I'm curious what, what this, uh, feels like and looks like inside yours, so it's uh, as always interesting. Yeah, don't get in my head. That's there's a lot. Nah, of you don't want there's to, a lot of chaos. There's in nothing. There. There's no fun. <laughs> okay, there's nothing fun in there. Oh, Rob, we've been at this for a while. Um, before we formally finish this, mm-hmm. where can where can people find you? You're performing in about a week and a half. Um, mm-hmm. You know, social media, websites, anywhere. Where, where where can people connect with you if anybody wants to? You know, um, you know, see more of your stuff. Yeah. Um, so best bet would be Instagram at Robert D E G L E B J J. That's my Instagram. There's like a link tree in my bio to my website where you can buy my instructionals or to my YouTube channel where I have a ton of free stuff, but the, probably the best bet to go in the beginning is like Instagram. Um, that's the easiest place to find everything else. And as always, we'll post all the links in the show notes, Mm -hmm. uh, to, for you guys to access Rob and, and connect with him if you wish to do so until Mm -hmm. then, listen, Good luck in in the way, dude. You're gonna be famous. You're gonna be on Serbian TV. <laughs> yeah, Serbian TV. Serbian TV. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Like, I, you gotta sign a T-shirt for me and send me. I'm just messing. Okay, I'm, sure, just, I'm, sure. messing I'm just messing around. I'm just, but listen, no, on a serious note, good luck. Um, Thanks, big, big, big performance. Um, we'll be we'll be watching from the sidelines. Um, mm-hmm. And Gary, before yeah, we wrap up, uh, good luck with everything. Thanks for doing this with us. Uh, it was fun having somebody have uh, similar interests to me, other than jujitsu. For the first the time, Gary feels included. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. <laughs> What's your favorite episode? What's your favorite episode? Um, okay, so I think my favorite moment. Uh, it's hard for me to pick a favorite episode. <laughs> yeah, it's moments, my, isn't it? My favorite moment ever is that episode where uh, George and Jerry, they're like, we're not men, we're kids. <laughs> you know, they got to grow yeah. up. Yeah. And then in that episode, the moment where Jerry is like talking to Kramer, and Kramer's like, oh, I get it. You think there's got to be more to life than this yeah. and everything. And Jerry's like, yeah, exactly. He goes, well, let me fill you in on something. There isn't. <laughs> and he's like, it's a prison, Jerry. It's a man-made prison. Yes. When you come back from work, she's there. Blah, blah, blah. Talking about How like, was your day today? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like probably my single favorite yeah. moment. I mean, there's so, there's so many. My, my favorite is when, my, uh, when Jerry's in the confessional booth talking about Watley converting to Judaism and uh, <laughs> it offends you as a Jew. No, it offends me as a comedian. I think yeah, that's yeah. my favorite moment of, of the entire series. Yeah. Classic. Good That's stuff. good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. All right. Are we done? Well, I, I, feel Thomas like, is done. I, I, I left the room a long time ago. I don't know what you guys are talking about. He needs, anyway, well, you know, he, Netflix, watch them all. 
I just canceled my Netflix. Oh, awful. All yeah. right, then. Anyway. I guess we're done. Rob, thanks for being here. Good no luck. Thank you, guys. Good luck in two weeks, and we'll see you around. All right. Thanks, man. Peace. Thanks, guys. Later. Thank you for listening to Raw Radio. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review and help us make the show even more amazing. For future episodes, check out our website and follow us on all major podcast platforms. Take care. Thank you.